be interested in it. It's completely counterproductive to their effort to go around telegraphing what they're doing and how many of them there are and how they're going about their business and anything else that might put them in danger. Brian, I was wondering, we've maybe covered this a little bit in the past, but uh, have you dealt with uh, other volunteer units uh, like the Belarusians, uh, the the two Chechen units, the Dudyev one and the uh, Sheikh Mansour Battalion, uh, the Georgian Legion and so forth? Um, do you have any experiences uh, with them? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> at some point you're going to run into other, other volunteer units. Uh, the Georgians are good. The Chechens are good, too. Uh, the, what the Georgians have done real well is their, uh, their back end and their admin. Um, compared to like the western foreign legion that they have um but i mean the georgians also had somewhat of a setup even before 2022 so yeah i've ran into them they're good um they can always be better obviously but i mean if we run into a unit and they're like hey help us out with this we'll usually you know we'll stop and if we're not on an actual operation we'll help them out with whatever they need um and then if we're if we see that they're doing something that we need training on we'll stop and bug them until they train us too so um it works out pretty well the western units now are um they're pretty decent too a lot of the people who came over here at the start typically so from prior experience in iraq from 2014 to 2018 uh typically at like the four to six month mark the ones who just came here for non-legitimate reasons are already gone so uh we're reaching that point now so the people that are going to be coming over here now are strictly, typically you're going to see our prior service or are actually, you know, uh, down to dance. So um, <clears throat> that's good. And I think you'll see the Western Legion probably upping their game a little bit. Um, I've had issues with how they operate and they're finally getting everything figured out good. So that's good. But yeah, the other foreign legions are decent. Like the Georgian Legion's good. The Chechen ones are good. Um I haven't fought with much of the Chechen guys, but that's predominantly because they, I don't, they just, I don't know who they go under, but yeah, they're usually off in their own little, their little area doing stuff. But sort of the picture you're painting, I'm seeing like sort of, you, you go over there and say, hey, I've got this Soviet weapon, I don't know how it works. And they say, hey, I've got this NATO weapon, I don't know how it works. And you guys maybe swap tips. Is that kind of the, just the broad picture? Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, basically. Like if they're doing a tactic that is working, we're going to obviously ask, you know, what are you doing? So then we can like try to use it as well or adapt it on um, the same, like with NATO weapons, like Mark 19s or something, you know, we'd be like, Hey, if you do this, it works better. Uh, so yeah, it's just basically, you know, you got to communicate to see what everyone's doing. If there's some, they're having an issue with something, we can usually help it out. Um, the javelins is a good one. Like that's a good one. You know, you go to a frontline, they got a javelin and like, if they're having an issue with the clue, we'll help them get the clue fixed. Uh, if we can't fix it, and we're moving we can throw our clue to them we'll get the other one fixed so i mean it's just small stuff usually but everyone communicates there's no real like hatred between any group or anything so thanks uh raver go ahead yeah since the uh georgian legion was uh mentioned i'm gonna ask a, a kind of a, a silly question um ryan as you look around the audience you'll see a lot of shiba inus do you happen to know why that is so I know some of the NAFU stuff. I don't know all of it. I should probably read up on it. But yeah, I know the Georgian Legion throws out memes about it now too. So I'm assuming it's with that too. They do a they do a pretty good job with their social media accounts. I'll send yeah, you. It's, uh, it's... There's a news write up by Vice Magazine about uh, the whole backstory on how it originated. Uh, but it's probably the most succinct non. Uh, comedy video you'll find on the origin of the fellas raver before you tune in there was a lot of discussion getting uh ryan a, a an, an rpg fella uh just so you know yeah he's he's uh joining the fellas we'll get him an avatar is... we don't expect him to change his profile pic or anything but uh he'll have a fella either way that is awesome because nafo expansion is non-negotiable i'll definitely post it on my twitter don't worry you demand. So uh, just to, your, to our listeners, uh, you're listening to the Maria Report. Uh, this is a 24-hour space that's uh, open for discussion about the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the uh, genocide against Ukrainians. We've been here for about uh, al almost two hours with Ryan. Uh, he's, uh, Ryan O'Leary, he's a fighter on the ground uh, in Ukraine, a soldier, I should say, on the ground, uh, fighting in a, a foreign uh, unit, uh, like a volunteer unit. 
and uh, he's been giving us a lot of great insights. So if anyone does have any questions from our audience, uh, you can come up by pressing the microphone button in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. In the center, you can press the little heart icon, and then you can raise your hand in the far right, and uh, we'll do our best to answer your question. Uh, and just real quick, I'd just like to point everyone to mariaaid.org. Uh, it's an organization that's run completely by volunteers. Uh, and if you want to help them out, uh, you can always uh, retweet the space because uh, Maria Report supports mariaaid.org. And also, uh, if people have the financial means, uh, they're great for sending non-lethal aid to Ukraine, things like body armor, bandages, tourniquets, uh, important stuff that uh, Ukrainian soldiers and civilians need on the front lines. Uh, so if anyone's uh, financially able, uh, we do appreciate uh, any contribution. Uh, so with that, we'll go to uh, Hans. Raver, go ahead. Uh, real quick, I was just going to direct everybody's attention up to the nest. Um, you can see things that Maria aids good work, um, both uh, night vision scopes and tourniquets. Um, you can also link to their Twitter account there. Um, I also wanted to throw in that Mr. O'Leary is also a former U.S. service member, so he's a veteran and a uh, current or former congressional candidate, in addition to being a volunteer in Ukraine. So... The guy puts his money where his mouth is, and I commend him for that. Yeah, start writing a book, Ryan O'Leary. Uh, we, we, we will read it. I'll tell you that. Sorry, Raver, go ahead. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, pile on for myriad, uh, you know, drones, getting medical care for wounded Ukrainians. And as for Ryan, I think he puts his ass where his mouth is, which is even more impressive. Uh, Ryan, have you noticed any Russian deserters? Like, we, we hear lots of stories about the morale being really, really low. Are any of them quitting? Um, not that I've ever ran into. Supposedly, there's actually some that they just found in the north wandering around um, or apparently hiding out since the failed Kiev, uh, you know, attack where they had to retreat. Um, I haven't personally dealt with any. We've, we've, had, we've came across some who just put their arms on the ground. Um, that one's just a weird story in general, but um, long story short on it, there was some of our Ukrainian guys on a recon. They walked up to a trench, and the guys were just sitting there chilling, and they didn't put up a fight. They said, oh, fuck, and dropped their weapons. Um, but otherwise, no, I haven't heard of any deserters. I'm sure it's happened. I haven't seen it, though. Thank you. Well, once more of the escape routes get cut off and uh, High Mars O'Clock starts happening on the hour every hour, I think you may see more uh people deciding to give up i for one if uh i were faced with going back to a life in russia after losing this war or uh surrendering and serving some prison time in ukraine and maybe getting a life in in you know the modern free world might choose to go ahead and give up and surrender in ukraine versus going back to russia i i guess they're probably not that smart brian i guess uh, i have a question so um you know we hear on the space, we discuss a lot the Russian terror attacks against uh, densely populated urban centers, civilian targets, uh, residential areas. I mean, on the front lines, do soldiers talk about that? Like maybe members of their family or people they know getting uh, hit in these strikes? Uh, is it something that makes them mad? I mean, just how, how, do, how do they approach uh, hearing about these uh, attacks? Yeah, I mean, they're always worried. If, you know, if they have family, <clears throat> they have family back here, you know, it's, it's a constant worry for them. Um, it definitely pisses them off, and it should it should really piss everyone off. Um, you know, the, there's there's just no reason that like malls should be getting hit, apartment buildings should be getting hit. You know, for for years Russia said, "Oh, we have these super accurate missiles," and then you know, come to find out they can't get within twenty meters of the target they're aiming at. You know, at some point, at some point, you know, you just gotta call it what it is, which is terrorism. Uh, they might be doing it on purpose. They probably are in some certain cases, but um, yeah, you know, I mean, anyone who, any Ukrainian who has family in Ukraine, they're going to worry about it. Even if they don't have family here, they're still worrying about it because you know it's their, it's their country, man. It's their homeland. So uh, it's it's never good seeing a missile strike a, uh, you know, a city block area and watching a four year old girl get killed for absolutely no reason other than terror. Thank you, and uh, we'll go to Raver. Raver, go ahead. Yeah, I can keep these questions coming. So, speaking of terrorism and terrorists, have you ever gotten to cross swords with like the BDV or the Wagner Group? And, and what are your impressions of the the cream of the Russian crop, as it may be? We ran into the VDV and Moshun at the start of the war, um, and a few of the other little supposed super soldiers. Um, they didn't they didn't uh, walk out of there. 
at least in our area. But um, I, I we I don't think we've ever actually ran into the like full Spetsnaz units. Um, that might be interesting because most of my guys are uh, former American soft, and our Ukrainian counterparts are also soft. So it might be an interesting fight depending how it starts but um i don't know I, I i don't put too much trust in that they have that many experienced guys as far as the um more specialized training like that stuff so um the wagner group uh they're actively being hunted by the ukrainians um if they were that good they'd be making a lot more of an impact i don't know if they're they're really you know, I, I don't, I don't know if they're really anything more than shock troops as well. To be honest, um, they might have had a good impact in areas like Africa and Syria, but I mean, look who they were going up against. Uh, typically, people without a lot of modern equipment, not real good intelligence networks, stuff like that. So, I, you know, I think it was one of those things where they were overpredicted in like their superiority and their capabilities, and they found out the hard way. And so did their, the analysts that were worried about it the last twenty, thirty years. The fact that the Ukrainians are actively hunting uh, Wagner warms my heart because if there is a group dedicated to evil, it is them. Yeah, they've been hunting them for a while. Um, they do operations going against them specifically if they know where they're at. Obviously, uh, there's sort of a deep-seated hatred, hatred over those guys. Um, obviously, they're not going to mistreat the POWs, or at least I hope they don't if they ever catch any of them. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're actively going after them if they know that they're in an area. Uh, and is capable for them to do it. So, and fuck those guys anyway. Thank you, Graven Rain. Now let's go to Tomash. Tomash, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, hopefully I'm not re-asking this question I just joined, but Ryan, have you noticed uh, anything as far as uh, the results of the HIMARS strikes? We've been listening to a lot of news of ammo depots getting blown up, and I'm wondering if you've been able to see the results of that on the front lines thank you yeah it's, it's been asked a few times so uh, i'm sorry um, no you're fine it's okay um so basically yeah it's more of a frontline specific like in the areas where the hamas are active uh you'll see the fires go down a little bit um like i said i was in the northeast and at the time there was a unit up there that was operating one uh we got a little bit less artillery we got hit with a lot more grad rockets um, but I think you'll, the more HIMARS we get, the more of an effect you'll see, at least an obvious effect. Um, I think Ukraine's pretty good at rotating them around to where they're not in one AO at any one time, um, or they're far enough back to where they really can't get hit with anything. So I don't know if you ever see a huge, huge impact unless they concentrate them for an operation, uh, in which case it would be really bad for any of the Russians at their logistics hubs, but, um, yeah, in certain areas where they're operating at, you know, you might see a difference in fires for a few days or like a week, uh, just depending how active they were during that time. And I think one thing you mentioned, Ryan, that uh, stuck with me, I guess, uh, just as you're on the ground, you said they make a distinct sound when you, you can hear them in theater, right? Yeah, apparently it's the sound of freedom, I've been told. But um, <clears throat> yeah, they do make a different sound. Um, and and uh, it might take a while for like, somebody's like, well, what's the sound make? It's hard to differentiate or explain, but... Um, like a more angry, pissed off artillery shell would be a better way to put it, I guess. But um, you can definitely tell when they're shooting over your heads, depending how close you are with them. I think that's a great detail. John, go ahead. Uh, thank you, Joseph. Ryan, I just wanted to ask you: Have you noticed any changes? You know, since you've been there compared to now, um, have you noticed any uh, changes, improvements, or decreases, or about the same in terms of? the accuracy of Russian tube artillery, their 152s? Not really. I mean, even from the start, like, in, and it wasn't really publicized, but even in the start, like in Moshun and Irpin, they just blanketed areas. If they couldn't progress troops forward, they just basically pulled back and just hammered everything. Um, and it wasn't like, like, we sat in the same house for five and a half, six days in Moshun, like, literally the same house shooting. I think I shot 12 rockets in five days out of it and hit multiple Russians with them. And they couldn't even hit our house. They hit everywhere around us, but they didn't hit our house, luckily. Um, we were also very stupid for staying in the same spot for that long. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's any more accurate than it was at the start. If anything, it's probably worse now. Um, I think they just decide on more of a scorched earth policy now than anything else. Just if we can't progress, we'll just shoot 
a hundred thousand rounds at you in a week and call it a day. Um, so I don't, I don't think they really had that much accuracy to begin with. Any follow up there, John? Oh uh, yeah. Um, have you ever been on the uh, receiving end or know of any instances where the uh, Russians had uh, utilized their, um, uh, their cluster munition shells they have for their one five twos? I know they love to use them from the garage, but I'm, I'm pretty certain they do have some of the, some one five two, I think potentially some, even some DPICMs um, in inventory. Um, the only time would be at the start. We either got hit with an airburst round. So we were walking through the forest on the east side of Moshun, acting like a bunch of dumbasses. Um, <laughs> cause we didn't know exactly what our mission was. They said, go clear the forest. Well, we actually basically were on the edge of Moshun at the time. Didn't even know it. Um, bad communication there with our commander, which only happened once luckily. Um, but no, outside of that, the only thing, like I said, we had some airburst rounds or something hit the trees above us and just blew a bunch of shit around. But, um, I haven't personally been hit with any cluster munitions, luckily. Okay. And, uh, with that, we'll go to Nightlight. Nightlight, go ahead. Hey, thank you very much. Um, what, what, in terms of the, the Russian artillery, I mean, obviously they're just landscaping, you know, everywhere within reach on there. And, and one, I'm curious how being on the receiving end of that, how people actually survive that. I mean, is it just get low and pray or is there something more to it? But also, I mean, um, I've never heard of him really using anything beyond the high explosives. You know, I don't see any mentions of uh, necessarily smoke, which seems to be a, a staple of, you know, a lot of uh, at least major battles. on there. they try to smoke out an area to block it off so it couldn't be seen. I mean, are they doing that? So that's usually something that's kind of a very coordinated activity. And I'm wondering if they're coordinated enough to do that. And when you see things that looks like uh, a whole bunch of like you know, thermite or something like that coming down out of the sky, are they doing that for illumination or are they doing that to, you know, cause fires and burn the troops on the ground? Um, <clears throat> so I haven't, I haven't personally seen any white phosphorus ever used. Um, a lot of those that say it's white phosphorus are actually like thermites from my, from the ones I've seen. What they're doing with the thermite, <clears throat> I I wouldn't say it's illumination. So at the start of the war, they were using the floor, uh, bleh, flare mortar rounds. So I would say it's more of just being dickheads when it comes to the thermite usage, to be honest. Um, so there's that. As far as being on the receiving end of it, you just get low. If you're in a trench, you're pretty much good. You just you basically cover your head with your, your arms um, and hope you don't take a shrapnel to your face or anything. Um, basically you just lay on your stomach and protect your head, uh, back to the sky is the best way to do it. Or you can curl up into a little ball if you want, however you, however you want to, uh, enjoy the artillery barrage. Um, <clears throat> if you're not in a trench, you just got to get behind something and get low. If you're in a building, uh, first floor stairwells work. Um, sometimes you can't really go anywhere. So you just stand there and, or sit there and say fuck. But, um, no, typically if you're in a trench. You just put your, um, cover your head with your hands as much as you can. Even if you're wearing a helmet, uh, you can stand to lose an arm. You can't stand to lose your face. So, um, <clears throat> and then obviously protect your organs. So usually you keep your back up. But I mean, if you're in a trench, you're pretty much safe. It's really hard to get an artillery shell directly in a trench. Uh, mortars, not so much, but just depends on the accuracy. So, um, if you get caught off guard, that happens. But luckily, I have yet to get hit with anything. So, <laughs> Um, and most of our guys in our unit haven't either. We've gotten some guys with concussion. We had a tank round go through our building once. Uh, luckily, it didn't kill anyone. But, no, you just get small. Uh, thank you. And just one kind of follow-up um, as well, more of a, a general note. You know, testimonies like this are, are really important. I know a friend of mine, uh, he was a legit military historian, and he went around in the 90s and 2000s and interviewed you know, uh, you know, guys who were in World War II and so on. And I, I really hope that, you know, testimonials like this are, are recorded and kept in some kind of an archive because, you know, this is history that's being, you know, talked about and recorded. You know, these are going to be kind of the voices of the war. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously most of them are, you know, almost all of them should be Ukrainian, but, you know, people like Ryan here made a contribution as well. And there's just so many people that come on here where there's not just current events relevance to it, there's historical relevance. And I hope that's curated uh, and saved somehow. 
Yeah, so yeah. there's yeah, actually Brent. a Western guy. Uh, it's called Battles and Beers on Instagram who's been documenting a lot of the uh, video clips and personal stories of Ukrainians and Western volunteers. And then I know Ukraine actually has like an archival thing that they're doing too. Um, I don't know much on the Ukrainian side on how that's working. I know we got told to submit a bunch of stuff uh, from what we've done. Uh, not for awards, but just so they have like a record of it. So I think Ukraine's doing that as well. But yeah, there's a guy named, <clears throat> or there's an Instagram page called Battles and Beers that has a lot of uh, firsthand accounts and video footage. Okay, I, I will definitely check that out. I appreciate that. And just one other follow-up question, which I kind of gave me a thought on. Um, I know you're in the middle of a war. How much paperwork do you have to do, or do you find Ukrainians doing um, as part of this? Uh, is this been an escape from the paperwork, or is that still part of part of it all? So the <clears throat> most of the Westerners, outside of the – so the Foreign Legion has their own admin group that does a shit ton of paperwork. Um, they finally got all that stuff unfucked to where they're being productive on it. Uh, typically the unit commanders are all Ukrainian, so they pretty much do all the paperwork, which is nice. Um, we haven't really had to do much. The only other paperwork you have is like, if you do like a side quest, like I found out the ministry of agriculture needed a bunch of computers and stuff. So I filled out forms, sent it to some people in the U S uh, there'll probably be a press statement from them in a week or two or something. Probably. Um, they said, Oh yeah, we'll supply it and help them out with whatever they need. So, Unless you volunteer for stuff, there's usually no paperwork as a Westerner. Is that like a common term in the military? Like a side quest? Is is that what you called it, Ryan? Like uh, just doing something else like that? Yeah, I was in, I'm in Kiev for some meetings and I heard about it. So I was like, oh, screw it. I'll go figure out how to work on it. And actually it was harder. So they're not in the, the ministry buildings, aren't the ministry buildings anymore for good reason. So Russia bombs it. It doesn't kill all the ministers and stuff for these different ministries. So getting a hold of the agriculture guy was almost impossible. We lucked out, and somebody's like, yeah, it's that building. Go walk in it. And so we just walked up to the guard and said, hey, we know you need computers. Let us talk to your minister guy. Uh, we talked to the head admin guy and then got him connected with the person in the U.S., and now they're they're crunching numbers and working on the equipment they need. So, But, no, that was like a voluntary thing. Like there's uh, some people that have asked for like some language lessons for like a children's school or something in the western part of Ukraine. Uh, some guys are going to go do that on their time off. So I mean, it's like the side quest is just if you're don't if you're not on the front line and you're not currently on an operation working, you want to go volunteer or do paperwork for something, you can go do it type deal. Um, I don't think all units are that way. Luckily, ours is set up that way, which is nice. Um, but I don't think the Ukrainians are ever going to say on your downtime, don't go do work. So, right. And I just want to jump in here real quick to say that uh, we record everything at the Maria report. Uh, so, you know, that's something we do, but we do need, uh, more AV volunteers. So if you have experience in that field, uh, and you're interested, uh, contact battle moose or Axel, and, uh, maybe we'll, we'll consider you for the team. Cause, uh, yeah, it's a volunteer team effort. We have an AV team and uh, they record everything. We'll definitely have Ryan's, uh, testimony for posterity uh so with that uh nightlight did you have anything you wanted to wrap up with go ahead uh okay. not oh. i'm trying to cycle some people up we've had a couple of issues i was trying to get daryl up a second ago and i think carl had to try two or three times before i could get him moved up to a speaker spot so uh, if you have a question for mr o'leary bear with us we are trying to work through things as quickly as we can and uh, give everybody an opportunity carl go ahead yeah, I just want to uh, say about uh, the archives. Yes, I personally have everything about other than maybe 10 days worth of the Walter Report, which is also going to include uh, various uh, conversations with Brian. And uh, I actually personally believe that, you know, Walter Report is probably going to be one of the primary source of history book writers uh, after this war is over. Uh, you know, there are just so much uh, accurate information and nuance uh, to, uh, to be mined from it. That's all. Thank you, Carl. We're doing our best. Yeah, but uh, we can always use more help. So if anyone's uh, experienced in that field, uh, we're definitely putting the word out. Uh, you want to work with the team and uh, try to get, get all this stuff saved and edited. Um, you know, it's a lot of stuff to go through. Uh, they're working hard at it, but, you know, it takes a long time. Like, I ask them for my segments. I'm like, can I have my segment? Can I have it now? Can I have it? And they're like, oh, we're so behind. So, you know, yeah, you can always no, use more man, man hours. I have exactly the same problems. We had a, a wonderful speaker on here for a couple of hours yesterday, and I had some 
prior engagements I had to deal with uh, off the space. And I'm very much looking forward to listening to that. But I grew to rely on uh, the YouTube edits of those. And uh, it's I just stay so busy on the live version of the Maria report that I have trouble going back and reviewing the ones that can be accessed through Twitter. But um, we're definitely trying to retain all of that content uh, just for posterity. Um, let's go to John and then Tamaz. Uh, thank you, Ryan. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned a couple minutes ago that you had, you know, only you had had that one encounter with the Russians using um, airburst fuses. Um, one thing that's kind of surprised me thus far is that we haven't really seen much evidence that the Russians have been using, you know, proximity or variable time fuses for their 152s, considering, you know, the amount of trench fighting that's going on. Have you, from other units that you've interacted with and other personnel, have you gotten a sense that the Russians are using them somewhere or at all, or do they just not have them as far as we can tell? I mean, there's reports of like the thermite being used, uh, especially up near like Kharkiv, uh, and I think over in Sumy too as well. Um, as far as the airburst, I haven't heard much other use of it. I'm sure it is getting used if they have it, but, um, and that might've been something else, but whatever it was cut out like five trees above our heads. So, um, it was pretty, pretty gnarly, whatever it was. Uh, it might not have been an airburst. It could have been, I don't know. It definitely wasn't a regular artillery shell. Um, <clears throat> cause typically if you shoot artillery into the forest, unless it hits the tree direct, which this one didn't, it usually just keeps going. Um, so yeah, I've, other than the thermite, I haven't heard too much other stuff being used, um, as far as artillery rounds go. They might just not have a large supply of any more of their, uh, more advanced munitions either, though. Oh, Tomas, go ahead. I was on mute. Um, I did get the question in from Daryl. He couldn't get up to the panel. Uh, I did have a personal interest in this myself because I noticed, uh, Mr. O'Leary was a duck hunter as well. Uh, have you seen any wildlife, of importance or you know anything you thought was remarkable while you were in ukraine um yeah they got they got deer here they got pheasants they got duck uh when i was uh northeast of bazaar with uh eros vidka playing around in the woods with the russians um hitting that big long mile long convoy wherever they had uh we used to see like stags or whatever in the forest I was always asked if I could shoot one so we could have some deer meat, but I always got told no because it was out of season. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they have duck pheasants um, and all sorts the of wildlife. The Russians were so. in season, but but the deer weren't. Yeah, basically, I always got a kick out of it. They're like, no, it's not hunting season. I was like, god damn it. Because uh, we were basically subsisted on buckwheat and uh, a bunch Boy, of canned man. food, so it was pretty pretty gnarly eating for a while. But, um yeah, there's there's wildlife. I'd love to actually be able to hunt some year someday here. Um <clears throat> whatever the hunting regulations are, obviously. Um but yeah, they, they have pheasants and stuff too, which was cool to look at. Well, I would say given all the volunteer hunting you've done in Ukraine so far, um, I think they should give you a a permanent license for um wildlife hunting at the end of the war. Um, I can't I can't see it being too expensive. I know they have like um like in the north, like like I said, like over near Ivan Kiev, and once you get up in that area, they have like the hunting blinds that are above the fields, which we used to shoot Russians out of all the time, like from them. Uh, like we'd be set up in one, and they would never shoot at the hunting blinds, which I don't know why. But um, so yeah, they they definitely have like the hunting preserves, like the private ones. So I don't think it's probably too expensive, but um, it's something I'll look into once we kick Rush out. I would say volunteers and veterans should get complimentary access, but that's just me personally. Let's go to it, Tomas. Tomas, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Um, so my question uh, for Ryan, um, now that it's been several months, obviously, since the start of the war and the Ukrainian uh, recruitment effort has uh, sort of gone into gear, um, have you noticed and are you satisfied with the stream of Ukrainian recruits to the uh, to the front? Are you able to see that, you know, the system is working as far as getting guys trained and into fighting shape? Are you able to see that system working? Thank you. 
Um, it's still touch and go as far as a lot of that, especially with the uh, territorial defense units. They are getting better training, but they're not getting fully trained. Um, the rumor is that's changing because of the amount coming from the West and the people going to the West and back and forth. Um, so I think we're going to start seeing that probably kick in here maybe end of August that you'll start seeing a lot better trained troops come in. Um, <clears throat> after March, like early April, when they started calling up a lot more people and even early May, um, a lot of those guys didn't get the amount of training they probably should have had, but they also didn't have the time to train them fully. So it's sort of a catch 22. It's either you fill your trenches and push these guys or you spend time training and maybe get pushed out of an area. So I think they tried to manage it good. Uh, it didn't always get managed good. But it's getting better. It's getting there. Um, there's now Western volunteers that aren't part of the Legion that uh, don't have contracts or anything that are working with TDF to get them trained up. Uh, the t the territorial defense guys are receptive of it. They're learning. So, I mean, it's, it's going to keep getting better as time goes on. Um, it's definitely improved, you know, hand over fist, like 200% since, you know, March, April, May, though. Thank you. I see uh, Eurolinga is up. Uh, do you have a question? Go ahead. Hi, yeah, uh, Ryan. I got a question for you. Have you heard much about the uh, usage of the Starlink? What the effects have been on that outcome? Yeah, my unit uses it all the time. Um, it's it's pretty good. Um, we haven't had issues with them getting pinpointed or anything, unless we were stupid and left it on a roof and a drone saw it, which has happened once, and we got hit with a tank shell through the side of the building. Home. Uh, Outside of that, as long as you don't make it in an obvious spot and you keep it away from uh, drones seeing it, which you can do through various ways where they can't even see it on a rooftop, um, you know, there's no issue with it. So, yeah, it's used a lot, and, I mean, it would be nice if we get, like, a thousand more of them. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely it's a game changer with communications and with, uh, you know, just anything that we need the Internet for. Uh, obviously, not the TikTok stuff, but um whether it's running various apps or computers and stuff it's great it's fast too actually it's actually really fast any fault uh, Lingo? oh yeah glad to hear that uh yeah i just don't hear too much these days but i'm sure it's doing its thing but uh my last question would be what are uh the thermal barracks those things just look brutal in general uh, thank you for your time bye yeah <clears throat> so basically to sum it up in a real simple matter, basically a thermobaric just sucks all the oxygen out and then makes a big boom. Um, and I'm sure somebody could go more in depth, but to save to save time, yeah, basically they're pretty nasty, uh, pretty nasty weapons, especially when they're loaded into like a thousand pound bomb or a missile. Um, you do have man portable ones; they call them like a flamethrower in Ukrainian. Uh, we use them on structures. You know, they use them on us in structures. Um, they're pretty good at taking out people behind fortified structures if you can get it into a bunker and stuff but um <clears throat> where it becomes a problem is when you start using them in civilian areas because uh they're extremely nasty and the effects are really bad uh if it doesn't outright kill you the blast pressure can basically collapse your lungs um they're just they shouldn't be used in any civilian area actually so john go ahead uh, mike check can you hear me okay loud and clear Hey, Ryan, thanks for coming to the space. Um, really appreciate it. It's fantastic to listen to. Um, I was going to ask the wildlife question, but I wondered if there's anything out there that you have to be careful over. Um, I've become fascinated with this really toxic plant they have called giant hogweed, um, which burns really badly if you touch it. Um, and also things like ticks when you're out there. Is that an issue if you're um out in the in the countryside and stuff um that, uh, other other things that can be vectors for illnesses and stuff that you don't normally have to think about when you except for when you're camping and things like that yeah so ticks are a problem i've known i think there's like two or three westerners that came down with lyme disease um so there's that as far as animals, apparently there's bears in the northwest. I haven't ever ran into one, thank goodness. Um, we did run into wolves in the north, which was pretty cool. Uh, they weren't, like, threatening. They just basically ran across the our area, like, probably, like, 800 meters away. Um, <clears throat> they did shoot one once because it got really close, but I don't know if it was, it was probably just trying to figure out what we were doing. 
they usually they usually stayed pretty far away. But otherwise, I don't know about snakes or any plants. Um, luckily, I haven't had to run into any of that, so I can't really comment on that. But now I'm going to have to go look up that plant so I don't touch it. It's a very large, it looks like a giant carrot top. It's massive. It can, it's in season now, and it can grow up to about two meters. But it, it um, causes uh, photosynthesis. It reduces your resistance to sunlight for seven years. Uh, really super toxic. It's just arrived. It's, it's spreading over the UK. It's called Stalin's Revenge. He planted it. Or, or, or oh, another, it another gift from the good Soviet Russia era. Yeah, yeah. I have to look it up and stay away from it. Uh, was, um, it's pretty late over there. I mean, it's late. It's late here. What sort of hours do you keep when you're sort of serving at the front? Is it like are you, are you awake like twenty four hours, or do you get to sleep a lot? or at all um it really just depends if you're on an operation you just rack out when you can uh do guard duty type stuff um right now i'm back in towards the capital so i pretty much drank coffee earlier so i'm probably gonna be up all night uh you don't really get a good sleep schedule so uh, i had to do work earlier so i just pounded some caffeine um but yeah typically it's just sleep when you can um obviously if you're on guard you don't sleep on an operation you don't sleep if you're getting artillery some people can sleep through it i pretty much dead sleep through it usually so um yeah really just sleep when you can basically thanks thanks a lot for coming by the space it's really appreciated and your your input is is fascinating and thanks for what you're doing it's it's a it's a great thing you're doing and yeah really appreciate it yeah no problem constantine uh welcome to the space this evening thank you for joining us uh, Ryan, if you don't know Constantine, he is a uh, former Ukrainian service member currently living here in the States in the Midwest area. Yep, I've been in talks with him to get him some uh, gear, actually. So yep. I should have that stuff for you soon, too. Uh, thanks. Um, we patient, uh, we're waiting for it. It's, it's very much needed. Uh, so I, I've heard talk about the, the animals, and probably I missed some percentage of that. And I was wondering... Uh, do you do you encounter boars, and do you eat them? Uh, because when I served in 2014, 2015, we had a lot of uh, improvised explosive devices, and we had a lot of boars uh, blown up on those. So we had, you know, lots of uh, lots of uh, wild, mm-hmm. yeah, hogs, hogs, wild boars. Yeah, we had a lot of uh, stuff cooked on their meat. I haven't encountered one other than eating some that the Ukrainians shot and then we they cooked it. <clears throat> but uh, no, I haven't encountered boars. They do say they're like all over though. Um, but yeah, I have yet to see one. I think they're predominantly in the east, aren't they? Uh, yeah, we, we were in the east, but I don't. I, are you in the south or that's? I don't know. I'm uh, I'm um, up in the northeast predominantly now. Although I've been last week, I was in Kherson, Mykolaiv. East over near Kramatorsk and then up in Kharkiv dropping gear off for people. So, um, but yeah, I predominantly fight in the Northeast. So I'm, if they're up there, I'll maybe I'll shoot one, one of these days. If there's no hunting season on them, cause they might be out of season. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for addressing that. So, uh, send, say hi to boys from Kharkiv. I'm from Kharkiv myself. And, uh, uh, we have, uh, if you need anything, anything in Kharkiv, uh, just, uh, tell me, as an example, we have um, I have small manufacturing over there uh, that is still working, and we produce some stuff for uh, some military equipment. Of course, it's not like uh, you know super great one, but we did some adapters for uh, drone drone uh, uh, dropping drone uh, ammunition from drones uh, to make cumulative charges instead of just a wog seventeens. Uh, and we had some suppressors as well. So, and we produce some uh, parts for artillery that that cannot be procured quickly. So, uh, if you need anything made, just give me, uh, shoot me a message, and uh, we have the con- we have contacts. Thanks. All right, perfect. Um, <clears throat> I'll probably shoot you one anyway. Uh, I just got done pulling a bunch of ERA off a Russian tank, so um, I might have some extra supplies. Teamwork makes the dream work, guys. Um, if anybody has any questions for uh, Mr. O'Leary, uh, if you've logged into the space or haven't been with us for the last couple of hours, 
Uh, Ryan is currently serving in Ukraine as a volunteer. He is originally from Iowa, America, and uh, he is here taking questions and uh, telling us about his experiences in Ukraine. Um, he's a former veteran of the United States military, and I uh, hopefully uh, going to be a congressional candidate again in the future when he returns home from his service in Ukraine. Uh, Phil, go ahead, or Constantine, if, if you've got any questions. No, I, 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 no, I wanted to say, Phil, Phil go ahead, because I, 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 saw, I, I didn't think you noticed him. Thank you, uh, both Constantine and Ryan, and uh, uh, thank you, Mr. O'Leary, for uh, your service. I, I don't know if you answered it because I came in kind of late, but I was wondering if you've seen the effects of any of the Western weapons like the M777s or the Caesars uh, or, you know, obviously the HIMARS uh, in uh, some of the battlefields that you've seen. And uh, thank you very much. Yeah, this gets asked a lot. So yeah, there's there's definitely an effect on it. Um, it just depends on what what uh, equipment's operating in that area. Uh, the HIMARS typically will get the artillery to. I mean, they don't stop firing, but it seems like it's less. Um, <clears throat> but you know, there hasn't been a real like whole battlefield change yet. But that's just because we need to get more of it in country. The more we get, the more you're going to see a more slack line happen uh, when it comes to, like, the Russians as far as their artillery goes and maybe even, like, their long-range stuff like the Smirch and Grad. So um, it does have an effect in these areas. We just need more of it so we can make a greater effect because um, you can't really – I mean, you can keep using it in one sector, but it's if, if you're hitting all the sectors at once, it's going to make a lot more of a ripple effect where, you know, you can start doing more offensive stuff in greater numbers. Thank you. Uh, so I, I, I will ask, this is probably not not a question about Ukraine, but still, uh, how's, uh, how do people uh, back in uh, at, at your home in, in IR feel, feel about this, about what you're doing right now? Um, I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about it yet. Um, I mean, obviously, there's some people that are questioning the Russian narrative. There's other people that question both narratives. Um, I've had nobody from the state of Iowa directly say, you know, fuck Ukraine or anything like that. So um, <clears throat> I think a majority of them understand, or at least I would hope understand that, you know, um, what Russia's doing isn't, they, they may not, they might not fully believe the, you know, NATO wasn't pushing this or that bullshit, but they might understand that the way that Russia went about it was wrong. So they're not pro-Russia. A lot of people might just be in a gray area right now. Um, and, you know, usually I'll just be like, hey, uh, you know, they're hitting apartment buildings with civilians in it, uh, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, just try to get them to look at a different view. But nobody's ever said anything bad. So I think a lot just sit in that middle ground area where it's just like Russia's bad, but maybe we should have not done this or that. But, I mean, they're not anti-Ukraine. So at least from my perspective. To be quite honest, uh, having grown up all my life in a state that has a lot in common with places like Iowa, I would venture to guess that uh, many people in Iowa don't even know where Ukraine is or didn't before this war began. Quite a few of the older generation does, because uh, in the 90s you had, um, oh shit, oh no, it was 80s, might have been even, from the 70s and 90s at one point, the Soviet Union leader, uh was it Khrushchev or whatever his name was actually came to Iowa and toured. So a lot of the older farmers know where Ukraine is and like the Soviet Union stuff. Um, but yeah, the younger generation probably couldn't point out where Puerto Rico is on a map, to be honest. So <laughs> yeah, well, I think Khrushchev brought corn, uh, corn as a culture to Soviet Union from, uh, from the uh, United States back then. Yeah, and apparently Iowa was helping... Oh, I'm going to get this wrong and Ukraine's been mad. Was it 94 when the independence was, or 91? Anyway, right after the independence, I guess a bunch of the Iowa farmers came over in like an egg coalition to help try to revamp the agricultural industry over here. Um, so, I mean, like I said, the older generation definitely knows. The younger generation, probably not so much. So now they do thanks to you. So thanks Absolutely. for everything you're doing. I second that. Um, people like you bringing a voice to what's going on in Ukraine and uh, 
letting people from our part of the world know exactly why this matters is of the utmost importance. Uh, I think you're exactly right in your assumption that there are probably a, a healthy number of fence sitters um, and people who do understand what's going on over there um, or who have taken an interest in it uh, can do a service to themselves and the, and the world by trying to communicate like you are uh, what exactly is going on. You're, you're not communicating. You're, you're putting your, your ass on the line, excuse my French, but um, people like myself who are not over there and don't have former military experience, I feel have an obligation to uh, make sure your story and, and the Ukrainian story is told. Um, we can go to Tomas. Thank you. Um, Ryan, this is uh, my last question and only, uh, you know, so I know how many drinks to buy you if I ever run into you at some point in the future. But are you able to, between you and your unit, uh, are, do you know how many uh, Russians you've been able to take out uh, during your time there? And um, sorry if it's maybe a morbid question, but I'm uh, just curious. Thank you. No, you're fine. It's not a bad question. Um, I would have to ask the guys how many they killed while I was gone. Um, I know in Moshun, they they estimated it. Tried everything that we could get our hands on that was still in stock. Got it. Like a good day. Yeah. And uh, in Kharkiv, we have uh, one of the like really good breweries, uh, but it's in Vovchansk right now. So I don't know what what the state of matter is. It's called Ten Men. And there is another great brewery in Kiev called Varvar. Uh, those are like craft beers mostly. But uh, yeah, it's Ukraine. Ukraine can do good beer. So uh, it's just, you know, in, in times of war, the production is probably quite limited. Uh, finance, go ahead. Finance, if you're not coughing up a lung, you can go ahead. Uh, I don't know if finance can get off of mute right now. So we may have to skip him. Uh, finance, if you have a question, you're going to have to DM it to me because... Uh, I don't think your mute button's working. So uh, what, uh, Ryan, if anything, have you uh, missed out on as far as creature comforts since you've been in Ukraine? Uh, what might somebody put in a care package and send your way? Um, I, we get, I get asked this all the time. Um, honestly, I like, figured you probably did, but... I'm pretty basic. I don't really need much. Um, Copenhagen Chew, that's about the only thing that I would say. Just because you can't find it here, but honestly, I shouldn't be using it anyway, so yeah, I don't that, know. That, that stuff will kill you, man. <laughs> Most of the stuff you can find here, like, I mean, I don't know. There's nothing I really, I shouldn't say I don't miss anything from home, but like, you can get most of the stuff here. So for me, like a care package, I'd rather just people donate money to like, my aid or one of the organizations that's doing the volunteer work. Um, I can survive without Copenhagen, whereas like thermals or body armor is more of a necessity. Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, tourniquet top notch. Uh, Maria aid was fortunate enough to raise $30,000 in the span of a couple of days and, uh, purchase a thousand, uh, effective tourniquets, not that knockoff stuff you would, uh, find on eBay, but, um, I think they've done a lot of great work. I'm uh, a donor to them and a full-throated advocate of what they're doing. Uh, I'm very impressed with what they've done so far and, and the work they're uh, headed towards in the future. Uh, for anybody who's a listener who may not know what Maria Aid is, it's a 100% nonprofit, uh, all-volunteer organization that sprung up with the help and... Um, the hard work of some current and former military service people from Canada, one of them being uh, Lieutenant Colonel Melanie Lake, who was the commander of Operation Unifier in Ukraine, which was the training mission uh, for Canada to uh, help Ukraine prepare to defend itself from this rough Russian invasion. Um, they stood up a nonprofit organization in Canada. And they're currently working to set up, a, I believe, a 501c3 in the United States. And um, 100% of the money they receive is used to procure non-lethal uh, military or medical aid and send it to Ukraine. Uh, 
So there's no overhead, there's no CEO pay, there's no advertising costs. That's what I'm here for. There's no pizza parties. They don't even spend any money on their website because everybody volunteers to do that work as well. Um, when the, the website was set up, the person who set up the website paid for it out of his own pocket because he knew they needed assistance. But uh, as far as nonprofit organizations go, and I have a little bit of educational experience uh, with respect to those, you, you're not going to find any nonprofit that has zero overhead expenses. That's just unheard of. They at least spend a little money on mailers or something. And uh, in, in lieu of that, we're here 24-7 bringing uh, news and information about Ukraine and elevating the voices of people like Mr. O'Leary, who are currently over there putting their ass on the line. Pardon my French, but uh, the man's risking his life to defend people in Ukraine, and we think his voice deserves all the attention it can get. So if if you appreciate what Mr. O'Leary's doing or what uh, Maria Aid has done or the quality of information and speakers that you get here on the Maria Report, uh, feel free to donate. I've done it myself more than once. And uh, Ryan, if you ever find out that your unit is uh, in short supply of something that you think Maria Aid may be able to help with, please don't hesitate to reach out to uh, Yehuda or uh, Axel or Battle Moose or the Maria Aid account. Um, we'll do whatever we can to, to uh, help you guys out, or they'll do. I shouldn't be overextending. I'm, I'm not personally affiliated with Maria Aid in any way. I'm uh, simply an advocate and uh, a part-time co-host and uh, a helper here on the Maria Report. So uh, I, I would assume they would be more than happy to help you guys if you ever find yourself in need. Perfect. Yeah, and if they ever need something, they can reach out to me. We got quite a few uh, logistics people back stateside for equipment and stuff too, So and stuff in country. Perfect. Uh, Constantine, who's still here on the panel, managed to uh, raise, I don't remember how many, how many uh, hearing protection devices did you manage to gather up in uh, support of the artillery units in Ukraine? Uh, so the last drive, it was 704. And before that, we got uh, 300 theories. So in total, it's more than a thousand. And it's more than, uh, total is more than $55,000. Well, and we've got the help and support of people like Constantine, who are obviously uh, very interested in doing anything they can to assist people who are 